Hi there, it's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm the founder of CoveyCast and of CoveyClub.com. And I wanted to welcome you today to my conversation with Amy Willard Cross, who's the founder of Gender Fair, F-A-I-R, meaning equal, not meaning we're going to go to a fair where there are only women, though maybe that'll happen in the future. And I'm so glad we finally got her. She is a journalist, a book writer. She is a longtime feminist. And what she has done as has is something really unique. We know all the issues we're having today with getting enough women into the workplace. We know the to actually bring women up to a fair number um, so that we are not only equal in terms of the money that we take home and we can support our families and live our long lives, but in terms of actually you know, front running all these issues we're having today with, you know, gender discrimination and sexual harassment, all that stuff's not going to go away until we have enough women in the workforce. And also, how do you buy a product today and know that made in a way that is gender fair, that, you know, the company you're buying from does support women or that they support women who in the factories in Vietnam for the clothes that you're you're buying. You don't have any way of knowing that. Anyway, Gender Fair is trying to become a mark like that. And Amy is just an amazing evangelist for women and for equality. And she's also a metrics and data nut, as she will say. I think you'll find it very interesting to learn about, A, how we can all help her bring this mark out and use it but also how she reinvented herself several times in order to get here. Because what she's doing now is a series of reinventions that she's had over her time. And so I want to welcome Amy Willard Cross, the founder of Gender Fair. And I want to welcome our good friend, Amy Willard Cross. How are you, Amy? I'm great finally recovering from my cold and flu. So. <laughs> it's just terrible. It's like I do everything I can. I try to wear gloves on the subway. I carry around those little hand wipes and I still end up picking up some horrible cold. It makes me so annoyed. Human and fallible, I guess. And you're getting over also, huh? Yes, just now after like four weeks. So I, I don't think I, I think I'll listen to you cough and I won't have to cough myself today. <laughs> so anyway, this is a this is our uh, get healthy discussion, um, yeah. and we're so glad to have Amy here. And I have to say, Amy, usually what I do is I can go through and find everybody's history, and I can create a long list of questions and all that. Amy, you are an international woman of mystery. Oh, Very yeah. hard to find information on you, so we're going to start with what I did find. Really? That's so interesting. And Amy, well, um, I guess you yeah, have to use my middle name when you're Googling me. You're deep state. So, um, but no, let's talk a little I'm, bit I'm about... totally Googleable. If you use Amy Willer, there's a lot of Amy Crosses, but I use my byline, my, my byline Amy Willer. But sure, I'll, let's keep the mystery going. So anyway, the reason why I wanted to bring Amy here was because she's doing something that's really remarkable. She has created a kind of stamp, if you will, of approval called Gender Fair, which is a way that you can look at products that you buy and understand whether they are fair to women in the workplace. 
And as many of you know, I'm uh, finishing my master's in sustainability up at Columbia. And one of the big issues with sustainability is not just the environment, about how you treat people, how you treat the people that work with you, how you treat minorities who are part of your workforce, how you treat your community that you may have an impact on. And the ironic thing, which a lot of people don't understand, is that the better you treat all of those stakeholders, and the numbers are there to show you, you actually make more money. It's kind of an interesting thing. <laughs> and there are books that have shown this. One of my um, favorite books is called Firms of Endearment. Um, it's something you can read, and they take 24 different firms and talk about how, I mean, and they beat the average firm out there by something like 45% in revenue because they really? do all of this. Wow. And I need to read that. Firms of Endearment. Oh, it's a great book. It's an eye opener. Um, mm -hmm. And it really shows you the, the numbers are there and the money's there. But I don't know that anybody has come up with a mark like Gender Fair, which you can look at on products and understand that these companies do treat women fairly. So I wanted Amy to start with uh, her history because I always think that that gives us a little insight into why women reinvent themselves or help other women reinvent themselves in a certain way. And then we'll talk about what Gender Fair actually does. So Amy, talk a little bit about your right. history, where you grew up and how that kind of aligns with your reinventions, because I know it's more than yeah, one. Reinvention is a great word, because you know that's what happens. You know, after your four, after, when you're in your forties, uh, you know, want to more. You do have to change, or you've been out. For, I was out of the workforce for a bit. It was in my children. Um, so I was a magazine journalist most of my life. I earned my bread writing stories um, about anything from healthcare to business. I mean, whatever. I you know, I wrote. I wrote for food basically. And um, and I wrote a lot about women's issues, and I worked for the major one of the major. Uh, I developed the first midlife magazine for women when I was working for Shape as a kid, after, right out of school. And uh, they were asking me to look up do do senior fitness publications, and I said seniors don't want fitness. But you know what? You're ignoring everyone over forty. <laughs> so I, I and you were how old? Well, the media kit. I was 24 years old. My friends used to call me honorarily menopausal, and it was, this was in the 80s, right? <laughs> And, okay. Uh, I had all these books in my in my in my little LA apartment, all about like women over forty and menopause and this and that and and um, anyway. So uh, so it finally I left before it finally came out, but I developed it and um, it was, I think it came out under the name Moxie at first, and then it became Living Fit. So it did become back sort of healthy lifestyle. But anyway, I noticed that the the the, the advertising, what do they call the media kit, stopped talking about women. They like. We'll reach women 25 to 40, and I would look at all these media kits for women's magazines, and I'd say, well, uh, what do women all die at 40? My mom's over 40, and like she's still alive. Mind you, she just read magazines, but um, anyway, so that was my first. I often just—I'll just tell you—I often thought one of the one of the possible names for Covey Club was NDY, not dead yet. Ah, that's good. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. And then I worked in the, in the magazine business in Canada. I moved to Canada when I got married. I've lived there for a long time, and I worked in women's magazines and other magazines, and I wrote books. And then um, in my, like around 2008, I wanted to do something online. I realized that you know things were changing, and I, I started a website. I didn't make any money. I started a website called Vitamin W. It was sort of news through women's, women's gender lens. And, and then I realized it's very hard to make money these days with 
with, uh, you know, I don't just play with writing because everyone writes and everyone steals your material. So I realized data was more important. So maybe instead of if I were to further feminism, instead of writing more stories, blah 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 about all the problems, maybe data would do something. So um, I had an MBA who was working for me at the time, and I had a team of people, and we developed some metrics. Oh, and I'm back on to gender fair. So anyway, that's my that's my story. I was I I lived I always done journalism for um, my living. And I've been a feminist since I was nine. I come from a long line of feminists, like my great grandmother was a suffragist. And, yeah, talk um, about that. I, I saw that. Yeah, and was, um, was, um, so, who was your great grandmother? Her name was um, Catherine Ann Millette. Well, I think she married a Hardwick, and she was a French Huguenot from uh, uh, Georgian ancestry. And she went to university in 1880. She studied I think, astronomy wow. at Georgia Wesleyan, one of the first universities to give degrees to women in America. We had some quick technical difficulties there, so we've got Amy better and uh, louder than ever now. So Amy, continued to talk about your great-grandmother. Sure, she yes. My great-grandmother was a suffragist. Her name was uh, Karen Andrew Malach Hardwick, I think. And uh, she went to university in the 1880s. I think she studied astronomy. And um, Astronomy, she, I, I think love so. it. Unless I'm wow. making that up. But for signing out of Hawaii, it's in my mind that that's what she studied. Okay. And um, and uh, she then became a suffragist. And I, we, I, have, a, I have a beautiful, uh, I guess, cer certificate from the American Association of Women's Suffrage that says that um, Catherine Millett Hardwick was the woman in Georgia who most helped get the vote. So, wow. um, yeah, so it hangs in my hallway as a memory. And so now I think that I'm maybe continuing her work. Like we worked, we took, took us 70 years to get the vote. But, you know, in my lifetime, we've been working about trying to get equality sort of in society. And it, it, we, it hasn't, the needle just hasn't budged in my adult lifetime, which I find right. very dismaying. And I graduated in 1982, which was the first year that women were 50% uh, of college graduates. But we're not 50%. We were 50% in the pipeline. We're not 50% out of the pipeline. And that's just, you know, very upsetting. It doesn't really make any sense. So I'm hoping that my work in using women's economic power to ask to demand change is one way that might move the needle a little bit more efficiently than we've been doing. Because you've heard all the the um, estimates that would take 170 years to reach equality. Well, oh, I want to shoot myself. I can't I know. Even believe that it's still at that level. I know. And and uh, I think the thing that was very important for me, actually, in this whole thing is that I never really thought about money very much. Like, you know, I was I was going to be a writer. I wrote plays. I, what do I know about money? But as you get older, you realize that money is what actually makes our culture move. And um, one time I was in 2008, I was doing a little story for my own web, one of my own websites about who had funded the women who won the 2008 elections in Congress. And I don't know if you know, there's a thing called open secrets where you can see mm -hmm. who funds and, and oh, they, I didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I yeah. did that one. Yeah. And they break it down by, it's a, a nonpartisan nonprofit and they break it down by industry. So I thought, well, hmm, let's see which industries are funding the women candidates who were newly elected in 2008. And it'll be like pharma law. They break it down like that. So can you guess which industries funded women the most? These new, these newly elected congresswomen? Media. No, none. No, none. So they, no, the, their top two funders were Act Blue and Emily's List. This is like of wow. nine of the 11 women who won. And, wow. I, and that was a big aha moment for me, Leslie. And I went, oh, I get it. It's only when we take control of money and financing things do we succeed 
So yes. women had to create an alternate funding mechanism to get into Congress. I think last time I checked, it was it wasn't so it was, the difference wasn't so stark. But in 2008, it was Emily's List. Act Blue is like just a basically an online platform, almost like a GoFundMe, sort of a, a almost like a back end for raising money. So it was just it was very clear to me. So the money we put into something is the money we get out. So if, if women have 20% of the seats in Congress, we do 24% of the political giving right now. Interesting. Women oh, do you men. see a direct you see a direct proportionate give and get? I do actually. So you're yeah, saying, I do. I think oh, look at really? women in VC. Women in VC are they say that they're they 22%. No, they don't make there's that's a garbage number. That's not how many women Really? Use. I mean, it's more like 4 to 7%. I forget what it's four or seven, and and then and the amount of money women get out of the VC funds, they're like four to seven. It's either four or seven. I can't remember what it is exactly, mm -hmm. but so but it's under eight. So oh, the number of women eight. in venture capitalist, the number of women venture capitalists is is under eight percent, and the and the amount of venture capital money that goes to women is under eight percent. So, I do think there's an input output relationship. Interesting. To, so talk a little bit about your reinventions. And yes. why you had to reinvent yourself several times. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll get into, and I do want to um, uh, then talk about where we are in terms of women today and what's going on in the world. Because I do think there, there are big changes afoot, and I would love to hear what you think. But yeah. let's just hear about your personal reinvention. My personal reinvention? Really? Okay. Yeah. This, this, this broadcast is about reinventing cool. yourself. And that. women are looking for, they're looking for ideas a lot of women say to me, I want to reinvent myself, but I'm not sure how to begin. And then there are some people who say, I don't really have an idea. I know I have to reinvent myself. I know I need a reinvention package in my back pocket. And that's something I talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are, no matter how long you've been at your company, you must, especially as you get older, have something in your back pocket because you don't know what's coming down the road to hit you. It's totally great. You, you'll just have this reinvention idea in your back pocket. People are taken by surprise when their company folds or their company's bought or their company's, you know, um, disassembled or their company is impacted and, uh, you know, turned inside out by the internet right. or whatever. That's great advice because I think oh. you're right. I think a lot of people aren't ready for it. I'm always ready for it. I'm always thinking like, me too. It's going to happen at any moment. And I remember once, um, we, we've had a, many different ups and downs in our in our family finances, and and I looked at bankruptcy a couple times in the face, and and I thought, well, I can uh, I can go out and be a waitress. That's fine. I can I'll do whatever it takes. We'll move down to Florida, live in a trailer, and I'll be a waitress. And a friend of mine said, they're not going to hire you. You're too old. <laughs> yes. Really? That's yes. my backup plan. My absolute lowest back. I was like, I'll do anything to survive. Yes. Like, really? I can't. Then what? Then what would I do? Gosh, that's funny. Um, but so, you know, so talk my reinvention. About, yeah, yeah, talk about your reinventions and what they were, and what made you want to reinvent or forced you to reinvent. Well, at first, I, you know, I, I as I said, I, I spent my uh, my early careers in magazines, and then someone gave me, and then I started, and I was writing for the newspaper in Canada, doing sort of writing about social ephemera, and then I got the opportunity to write a book. And writing a book was always on my list of things to do, except I thought I'd do it when I was forty. Because I thought I didn't need that much, you know. I have, I need some money under my belt and experience. Right. But I got this wonderful book about the history of summer houses in North America. It was so fun. It was a great social history. I loved it. Very got to read a lot of philosophy for it. And, um, for, for these were the but days then, when books did well. <laughs> yeah, and then well, for me anyway, I was thrilled at right. the, uh, the 
at the I was on and I was on the bestseller list for a few weeks in wow. Canada. But, okay. Uh, yeah, and I spoke at the Smithsonian. It was it was great. But um, then I was ahead of my my plan a little bit. So then what do you do? So then I kept on freelancing, and then our finances were such that um, I had to go get back and get a, a staff job. So I worked at uh, worked on staff for years, and I loved that. I I liked being on staff better than writing actually, because writing is a, a lonely process. It's very and, lonely, which is why I don't like yeah. to do it anymore. I do it when I have to, but it yeah. is really <laughs> solitary. It is really solitary and it's just not who I am. And I, I had children too. So when you have children and you can't go out every night, the last thing you want to do is be in, you know, be in a little cubby writing every day mm-hmm. and then stuck at home with your kids when you, and not being able to go out to When I was a right. writer, I could go out to parties that night in the night and that made it totally fine. I could right. you know, lock myself up anyway. And so I just, I definitely decided not to be a writer when my kids got older. And also I think writing is a, is a, a very bad profession to have when you have children because mm-hmm. what, I used to have a column for sort of like a Harper's in Canada. It was like a, a very a sort of thinky magazine. And I did a column about if, sort of social ephemera. Mm-hmm. And um, and my kids used to know they couldn't, mommy's on deadline. And uh, just, when you're, you know, when you're on deadline, you don't shower, yeah. you don't get out of your room. And and I don't want to be that way that I'm on deadline and I can't be available to the people I'm supposed to be available to. So I definitely didn't like writing when they were little. I did a little bit, but um, I would work in TV, for example. Like friends would just, when you're a cultural worker, like, I mean, I mm-hmm. suppose you were the same, but you were at a higher level than I was. But when you're um, a new, people will just call you up to work on projects. So, like, people right. would ask me to do a lecture series at a museum because, you know, what they call content is always content. So, if, that's right. It's always around shaping an idea. And right. um, so I did that. I worked on a b- wonderful documentary series for the Discovery Channel for, about Muhammad Ali, which was fascinating. And and um, and uh, I was good at getting finding stories for people. And I loved it in television. They tell you when you've got a good story, you get shivers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like that. Uh, that happens to me as an editor when I read a good yeah. story. I well, actually get. Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't okay. that cool? I like yeah. that. And I, I mean, one time I met someone who, I, I found someone who had fought in the mountains with Fidel and had never come public about it. That gave me shivers. But wow. Yeah. And then after, and then I, as anyway, so I did that for a few years, just stumbling along doing whatever people would ask me to do. And then I realized, gosh, I only have so much time in my life now. I'm over 40. My kids are, you know, in school all the time. I've got to, if I want to do something with my brain, I should not just do it. I shouldn't just be so reactive. I should find what I really want to do in life and put my brain, put my, my, my intellectual powers to that. So that's when I came up with the idea of working, doing sort of feminist journalism online. And as I said, I failed in my first projects. I did. Um, I didn't make any money. I spent a lot of money. I hired people. I had wow, writers. Really? I had yeah. Okay. And what kind of event venture was that? Can you give us a specific sure, of how okay. you failed and why you failed? Because oh, yeah. also, well, but I that's failed. the way we learn, you know. So yeah. we don't have to go through that. Well. Is it, in the early days of the internet, it was possible to come in onto the internet and make and, and do a successful set site and and you know and but by the time I I started I think I started in two thousand eight I built some sites by two thousand and ten and and twelve and it was too late you you had a lot you needed a lot of money behind you and I was too timid to spend a lot of money like okay. I, I borrowed money but not not enough okay but I did spend a lot and um and I would you know quickly learned. And then actually, you know, you learned Facebook. Facebook changed the way they used to like let people see their stuff on Facebook. Then they started charging you money mm-hmm. to show. I had ten thousand right. fans on Facebook that I required, and then I had to start spending money to. Uh, to yeah, reach them. they were tricky, and they really messed up a lot of people. 
They did. They, the, and the publishing industry sort of let themselves, let yes. itself be cannibalized. So, That's right. Um, so I think, you know, for, for like a writer editor thinks she could make money. So I thought I was being so smart. I was, you know, I, right. I had, I had a big plan. I was going to, I, I knew at the time, like in the, in these, in the 2008, I knew that there were millions of women online or women, millions of women who belonged to organizations, but they were totally disaggregated. So yes. my plan on this website was called vitamin W supposed to be like good for women is I wanted to, I wanted to make alliances with women's organizations such as the AAUW and, you know, <clears throat> Planned Parenthood, Emily's List, and and be like um be like a a, a, a central gathering place online for women. Uh-huh. And I had a few nonprofit partners. I mean, I worked at it for a while, and I did some good work. And okay, you know, people upworthy would steal my material. Okay, and, <laughs> that's all right. I had Oprah yeah. steal my material for yeah. years. Really, <laughs> so, all of my Mary Claire years and part of my more years. Really, they wow. would steal it for the TV show all the time, and they would pretend like they weren't, and they would come really? to you. Oh, and we confronted them one time. It was they, and they were notorious for doing this. They really. Yeah, they would go through the women's magazines. It wasn't just me. Everybody knew about it. They'd right. go through the women's magazines, find great ideas, call you for your contacts, say they were going to use you. And then they would somehow, suddenly, they would take three of your contacts and they would add one and they would claim it was theirs and they wouldn't invite you to be on the show. So no. it was classic. Well, they had their own magazine. They should be having their own stories. Well, like they, they do have- it now, but this is before she had her own magazine. Really? That's yeah. nasty. Yeah, That's she terrible. was known for that. But anyway. Yeah. But so anyway, now I think that we, I've, I've left that because uh, as you know, our, our profession has lost a lot of its value. Yes. And um, so now I think data is important. And when you look at journalism, when I was making a plan to make money, like my first plan, it, it would have made money had I been able to talk everyone into being partners with me and I had a big enough audience. Right. But this one, even though people don't like to pay to read things, they will pay for data. Interesting. Okay. You know, the U.S. News and World Report, um, the college report, I think is still a moneymaker. And I knew that in, in Canada where I live, the I know the woman who founded the, the university guide. Yes. And she worked at the same publishing company I worked at. And she did it actually because she wanted to improve university. Yes. Like, and by doing a big data, draw, data play into universities, I can... I can find out what's happening. I can publish it, and I can create change. And, and she did that, but also she made a lot of money for the, the the publishing company. Okay. Because people will pay money to to re, to get a big guide. Maybe they pay twenty or thirty bucks to get the guide on university. So, right. Consumer Reports still has three million subscribers. Right. Or is it my last count? It did. So, how many other people pay that much money to subscribe? So that's my my idea in doing Gender Fair, is and this index is that people that data has value even though words and blah blah blocking doesn't have so much value anymore to some people yes data does so that's what I'm, that's what we're, we're we're hoping that that we can use this data to encourage women to shop with companies that serve women well and um and um you know so far it's working we have we have paying clients who pay us to to uh, license our logo the companies that want to tell women that they're doing well and uh, hopefully we'll be onboarding more and more in the coming year. Can you talk about what your uh, criteria are? What are the, um, what are the, you know, the metrics you're looking for that lets them get in the door? And it's not obviously just for women who want to shop for gender fair companies. We're hoping men will shop for them too, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Leslie, we want men to shop that way too. Cause it's gender fair. It's not just women fair. Right. So, <laughs> and um, so 
So, but back to the, the metrics. So when we were trying to figure out how do, how do we decide what is a, a gender fair company, we, we went to the, we used the UN's women empowerment principles as our, as our, um, as our main document. So this is something that was created by, originally by something called the Calvert Foundation. And then the UN adopted, UN adopted, there's like seven main areas and, um, Companies will say they're going to be, they're going to pledge to be, to follow these women empowerment principles, which are based on the SDGs. So, um, sustainable what, goal, sustainable development about, goals. Yes. Um, sorry. It was, and that's number five is women. So we, we look at four major areas. We, we assess a company's uh, leadership, uh, leadership of women. We also assess the company's family friendly employees. That's where the gender fairness comes in because we want men to be family fair too. We also look at a company's philanthropy for women. And they're advertising for women. Oh, great. I'm glad you yeah. include advertising. Yeah. Because, you know, if I'm going to give money, my money to a company, I want to make sure not only they have women leaders and let women help women and let women lead. I also want to make sure they have good family policies. But I also want to be spoken to in a way that I consider um, ennobling, not demeaning. And yes. I want, and I, if I'm going to be giving money to a company, I want them to be giving money back to my community. And so, so what happens? The company comes to you and says, we would like to have the gender fair label and we submit ourselves for your review. No, actually not. not. First, we, first oh, we do the journalism. First, we do the journalism. So we have, we've assessed about 250 companies so far. I think 200 are published on our iOS app. Okay. And only once a company is, is um, assessed, do we then tell them that they actually made a good, they have a good score. And Oh, you go first. Yes. Okay. So people can download the Gender Fair app Absolutely. on on the Apple on the Apple website, but right now you have just an Apple. Yes, app. we're not Android, which is too bad because I'm Android because okay. Google had a higher score than Apple. I always buy I always buy personally whatever is the highest score on our on our index. And our index is very right. transparent. You can see what all the metrics are. You can see like um, when you if you play with the app, you'll see that um, there's all these different tiles and you touch the tiles, it'll if you touch the tile it says board it'll tell you what percentage of women are on the board and how that compares to the current benchmark so okay and 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 our people ask well how can we trust the certification That's right. the, how do we trust well how do you trust well as i said everything is very transparent and it's all benchmarkable to current benchmarks so i can't make any company have a better score if i want to like you either do or you don't okay. you either have women on the board um markedly above the the fortune 500 average or you don't you okay. either have so and 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 we use we use benchmarks from the fortune 500 and also from working mother magazine which you know as you know yes. has done a great job moving this issue forward yes. now what's different about working mother is that and some other rating systems is that people have to sub, companies have to submit to their very arduous um, survey form yes and so you only get the companies that are good I want to, I want women to know which companies are good and which companies are not so good. Ah, are you listing companies that are not so good as well? So we Absolutely. can see, oh, so Absolutely. you're doing both. Great. Yeah, so, okay. And then there's Excellent. a graphic on the app that reads, it makes it very clear. You can see that, you know, the top is like a long, a big green bar that goes to the right, like a thermometer. And the bottom is a very low little red. If you're a loser, okay. you get a red, a red bar. Okay. Do you so, let the losers know they're losing? Um, no, we don't actually. Um, because what we can't, I won't work with any company that doesn't do well. Um, but um, so there's someone who's working with us who wants to help, who might start helping consult with those companies because we have a massive database of what are best practices. So, you know, just imagine if I've looked under the hoods of 
if I have incredible gender data on 250 American companies, about 15% actually do well. And some of them have like innovative programs. Like just today I was looking up some, some Microsoft has a thing where they ask their law firms to have diverse teams. And, and law firms that, that, that comply with this requirement get like a 2% bonus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty, the money is, again, back to my point, money is worth change happens like you either yes. give people money or you don't you don't give them money and that that's what's going to motivate them in our culture so I was very happy to see that Microsoft did that I I didn't know that and Microsoft has been they were good a few years ago when we started the database back in 2014 and um, I've seen many companies make huge improvements like Microsoft was an A back when we started but they've done even better like their their maternity leave is better the number of women top named executives is better um, but it's, then it's how quite... do you how do you account, Amy, for when you go to a place like Microsoft, which I did when I was running more yeah. magazine, it's yeah. all men. You go into the recruiting area. We were there on a day when they were recruiting. Um, they were actually, you know, installing their new um, employees. And it's a literal, it is a, what do you want to call it? A ballroom size full of men and three women. Wow. I mean, that's what you see. So how do you, you know, and then I look at things like you look at the numbers of, you know, for instance, uh, this is my big frustration with Facebook mm-hmm. is, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, who's somebody to admire and she's the COO. And yet when you look at the numbers of women that they have in management and the number of women that they have as hires, nobody else. And you yeah, say to yourself, well, how do you mm-hmm. go out there and tout this as being so important and then do nothing inside your company? Well, that's, that's the many things to unpack right there. First yeah. of all, those, the, te- the women in tech positions at Microsoft and stuff would be like, I think it's around 14 to 20%, which is sort of analogous to the number of women coming out with computer science degrees. Ah, okay. So it, there is, again, a correlation. And it, it's less okay. than it was. Like when in the 80s, when, we were, when I was in school, there was a higher, a higher number of women doing comp side than there is now. And that's a really yes. important issue. Yes. Um, They're being chased out early is my understanding. Yeah, and and the way they've been, you know, when marketing it, and it has to do with like, yes. you know, what tech is seen to do. I don't quite understand it all, but yes. Um, so yeah, they, it's and I'm I, the app is not called gender equal, right? You're fair. Okay, good I, point. I would like it to be fifty fifty, but right, it's we're not there yet. To go and interestingly, there's especially when it, now, t- people complain about tech a lot, but yes. I would like you to look at the look at the metrics in the shoe industry, for example. Oh God, household, is it terrible? Terrible, like amazing. That women's favorite thing in the world. I can barely buy shoes because I can't find like I've got to now look for a women-owned. I think Coach is the only company that does well, and and their score has been going down. Um, so like the shoe industry is abysmal. Uh, the airline industry. We didn't usually. There's one gender fair company in a sector. Like certain yes. sectors are more friend or more women friendly. The banking sector is very friendly to women. Oh, really? Credit card. Okay. Yeah, credit card. Interesting. Um, shoe industry, not airline industry, was the, the worst I've seen. So How does when media I... look to you from a metric point of view? Because it's very frustrating to us in the media, and you know mm. this, where you would have women doing all the work, and then you'd have just after all the worker bees, everybody at the top is male. Right. Um, yeah. So you know, we I haven't 
I have raw data on media and I haven't mm -hmm. graded it yet. I'm kind of nervous to do it because it has to be perfect, right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Tina Brown, actually, she I met her at, at Clinton Global Initiative one year and she it was so exciting to sit next to her. Like, she's my mm -hmm. hero. Mm -hmm. And she said, check the New York Times. And I did. Yeah. I showed her. I, I showed her the SEC data mm -hmm. and uh, and of leadership and of, there was usually there's a, a something they, they post they have to list called the named executive officers which is yes. the highest paid people yeah. and the New York Times had one and she was paid second to least which That's is right. very very common right and, and look at that for many media companies that I've been in when you dig around and find their about page and they make all only products for women. And it's, you know, five white guys with their yeah, arms right. crossed. I know. You That's know? actually, this is, I, I feel very strong. That's another reason why I tried to do a web, when I, when I did my failed websites, although mm -hmm. failure is cool now, is that I don't <laughs> like the idea that men make all this money from selling women's eyeballs. Like, yes. why can't women make the money selling our, quote, eyeballs to people? It just, it drives me absolutely insane. But so, that's interesting. Um, so women can come look, and it's a little orange G. Um, we'll... Uh, I'll put it up on our uh, Facebook page so people mm -hmm. can look at Covey, Covey's Facebook page oh, and see the, and I'll, I'll give a link to the, um, to the app as well. That's great. And do yeah. you look beyond though the board? Because I, I, the other thing that I'm finding is that a lot of people have, a lot of these corporations have caught on to the 30% rule, all these things that are out there where, you know, they've got to for PC reasons and for their investors to look like, they're trying to do something for women um, and they they'll put two or three women on their board. But then if you lift the rug and look right below that into their managing right. directors and everything, it's, it's all men again. That's true. Um, that abs absolutely great, great point. And I see that in our, in our database a lot. We collect board number. We also collect the, the number of top named executives. Mm -hmm. We also look at leadership, um, women in management mm -hmm. and the average is 40% to that. And also a uh, presence of a leadership program. Mm-hmm. And even then, I mean, even if these metrics on paper, it still looks good. I can't promise you that what's underneath the rug is always going to be good, but uh -huh. there is usually that does show a bit of an intent or another okay. thing is some companies will do things where they'll, they'll tie, um, compensation to meeting, uh, diversity targets. Right. And so we, we don't, that's not measurable because not enough companies do it to measure it, but it is, um, Although we actually, we would add that, um, but, but we do market it in the qualitative section of the app. So we'll tell you if a company actually says um, your one of your their KP one of their performance indicators is is diversity, we we put that in. Um, but yeah, the board it's very common. You'll see companies have put like twenty percent of women on their board, but they have no women in the top named executive right. suite. And that's the most common. So that's a zero in our app. And it's oh good, excellent. It happens a lot. Yeah, it's a lot it's of very. Feminine washing, I guess. <laughs> in yes, the, and they'll yeah, female right. washing but on their. You're right about their website. They'll list their leadership page, touting all these women on the leadership page, right. saying chief, you know, right, chief placement officer, chief right. this officer, and but look her up on the SEC, and she's not one of the top paid women, so right. top paid people. So that's very common. And you know, I think we can actually. Uh, the main thing is when you count things, they do start changing. So yes. The, the board thing worked for many years. It moved moved the board numbers, and but we have that's just not enough, as you say. So we've got to ask for more. So yes, we've got to buy gender. And what we're hoping to do, and we're in discussions with Amazon, is what I want to I want to make this really easy for women. Like if if I I've been an ethical shopper since I was since I became a grown up. My mother, I mean, I, my mother boycotted grapes. We've always been ethical shoppers. 
but I can buy fair trade. I can buy cruelty free. I can buy marine steward certified fish, but yes. there's nothing about me on a label. Yes. And I find that fair. Like that gave me a shiver when I first made that um, a slide of that for a deck. It's like, wow, I don't matter as yes. much as a crab. I mean, I love crabs and but, freeze and that's just, that was just really, that was a really hard, that was a blow. And the so, thing that women have to understand is that the numbers are there. The numbers show that companies that have women in them, in the boardroom, in the director level, in the management level, they do better financially. And we are, you know, everybody's running around saying more jobs, more jobs, more jobs. One of the things that we need to do is realize that one of the pathways to more jobs for everybody is to have more women in management. Right. And it's a fact. You can argue whatever you want. It's the yeah. numbers show you. And a lot of, I mean, if we can segue a bit into the current news, because I was, you know, shaking my head several times um, during this whole sexual harassment scandal, which is, you know, pulling, really pulling down all kinds of drapery um, around hidden secrets everywhere. And when you look at things like the scandal going on, you know, at CAA out in California, the, um, the uh, agents, when these uh, celebrities are talking about, you know, they were being harassed by Harvey Weinstein, and then they are reporting it to their agents. And guess what? They're the guys running the agency. There's five, five guys. And they sit on it. They don't do anything. Really? And these things come back to bite you and they blow up in your face. Look at what happened to Volkswagen when Volkswagen was going through its whole scandal about selling cars that had supposedly great environmental standards. And it turns out it was all a lie, right? And they got caught. It cost them billions of dollars against their reputation. I did a, a paper on it. And guess what? Lo and behold, when you go back and look at their board, it's all men. Now you can't say don't don't ask what we could do better. <laughs> I'm not saying that every woman is ethical and every woman is not going to cheat or lie or steal. That we know that's not true as well. But there are things you can do to protect yourself. You know, it's funny. There's a woman I know who runs something called the Gender Economy Lab, mm. um, and at Rotman School of Business, and she says, "Don't even think about adding women as." Uh, market performance improvement think of it in terms of an innovation improvement like yes you know the, the more the more different i different heads you have in a room the better solutions you come up with and i thought that was a really interesting point too. i mean i mean we we think that money actually uh, i mean we think that telling people they'll make more money if they add women will help but we don't know if that's really true i think maybe sometimes you have to be punitive um yes but it, this does work like the human rights campaign did a similar thing many years ago called the guide to corporate equality and just a, sort of a list of which companies are good for for LGBT policies or not. And within fifteen years of it's, within fifteen years of doing this, they've changed the policies in five hundred companies. Now, women were you know we're fifty percent of the population as opposed to less than ten percent. Just imagine what we can do if we start demanding things. And I think so. What I hope that all all of us can learn is that women do have immense power. Yes. And we're told that we don't. Yes. But in the aggregate, we do. I mean, look even back to Lysa Strato. We know that women in the aggregate have a lot of power. Or that women started the help helped start the French Revolution in the, in the fish markets in Versailles. Like when women come together and ask for what they think is right, things start changing. So I hope that women, American women consumers, 
they started realizing that the grab your wallet movement has showed them how powerful they are. Yes. And so tell me yeah. what women can do with gender fair. What would you like them to do? How would you like them to use it? Because Covey Club members are really smart. They're very influential. And then I just want to get two tips from you specifically about women trying to reinvent themselves in this area. But first, tell us what we can do with gender fair to make it actually have more leverage. Well, um, first of all, go to our website, sign up to get updates because we give people we every twice a month. We'll tell people how to sh how to spend their money in a gender fair way. Is that um, genderfair.org? Genderfair.com. No, it's a com. We're a for-profit company because I believe okay. in, I believe in I believe in um, making money, and I we're, we're gonna we're gonna we'll help our our clients like the the major consumer companies will be paying to license our logo, and they can afford to pay enough to. Anyway, so no, no, um, yeah, money so, is the new feminism. I, I, <laughs> I do believe that. I honestly do believe that money is the new feminism. And until we get money in the hands of women, money in terms of running your own businesses, being able to invest in things, that is not shameful. That is the new leverage point, and we all have to wake up to that and realize that. So, do not apologize for being. No, no, I don't apologize. I, I, I totally yeah. agree with you. As a middle class woman, middle class white women, we have a seat at the table just by being middle class That's white right. women. But so, I think it behooves behooves me to try to acquire more money so I can I can use it. And I mean, money is change, and money is power in our culture. That's it. So, it is. so I can so I can bring more women to the table. So if there's one Correct. thing I want our app to do is to like help help the women who don't have a voice. Like we don't. We don't count mat leave. If you don't give mat leave to the women in the factory, maternity just, leave. Maternity leave. Yeah, we don't. We mat don't leave. count it. Mat leave. Okay. Um, anyway, so and so please down. So go on the site, sign up, or or da and download the app, and you okay. can look at things. And anyone can write me, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you what is a gender fair company. Oh, good. So, and how do yeah. they write to you? Is there there's a number? Me, there's a there's a there's a contact number uh, contact form on the site. You can ask okay. me about a company, and um, I'll tell you or. And eventually, I like to. What we're trying to do is get labeling in shopping. Like we're talking to Amazon about putting the gender fair label on um, on products in Amazon. That would be so great powerful, idea. right? Yep. Because we deserve to know that. So if uh, if great. it doesn't happen, you'll see a big petition. We'll have a we'll have a petition uh, going around. But we're, we're in discussions now, and I think that I mean ultimately, I like to see it on store shelves. Yeah, I want to see it on packages, but I think it'll take a long time. Yeah, packaging is would make the most sense. It would, but it's going to take a long time. Shopping site when it pulls up the item you're trying to look for, that's helpful. Right. So anyway, that's my goal. And in terms of reinventing yourselves, like yeah, in gosh. terms of women who want to do what you do, say they they're very interested in social engineering, they would like to help change women's lives in a way other than just you know an organization. What can they do that puts them into play? either as an entrepreneur or as somebody reinventing themselves from a different kind of business? Well, I think actually joining an established organization is one of the best ways you can do it. Okay. Because um, the amount of human energy, you only, so, you only have so much human energy in your life. So if yes. there's a group that's doing something that you like, go join that group. Like okay. whatever it is, uh, if it's an investment committee, like women are f making the most interesting organizations these days and like uh, they're solving problems in their own ways. I, I, there's a, a, a friend of mine runs something that's called CEO. Yes, and it's this, I know CEO. You know, she, I hope you remember. And um, I'm, we're up for funding with it. And I've been a funder since the very beginning. And what we, we everyone puts in a thousand dollars a year in the U.S. It's a tax deduction, and it creates a fund of five hundred thousand to a million dollars, and that gets lent out to five women-owned businesses or a few. And 
for $1,000 a year, you can actually be part of this community, get a tax receipt, and help women's businesses. That's, that's huge. That is huge. And you can buy from one another. You can join with one another. Like, so that's, that's a great thing. So, yeah, find, find an area that you're passionate about. Find, do research, find out what people are doing in that area. Like if you want to work in women running for office, there's many groups like Higher and Higher is the new one for African-Americans. There's so much amazing work being done. So I would say find someone who needs your help because that's the, the hardest thing in the world is trying to tell people they need your help. Yes. It's much better when people say, hey, we're trying to climb this tree, help us. Instead of going over to find another tree that you want to climb. I mean, that's what I did, and I, okay. I, I acknowledge it's very difficult, right? Okay. But, I, but um, that's my major advice. Find, find something that you know that's a problem people are going to work on that they'll need your help. And um, So you should, you should start on the weekends, or you, say you're working full-time. This is the kind of thing where you can get what, you know, what our kids call the side hustle going, right? Side hustle. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, uh, yeah, look for, look for look for an area that one you have skills or you have passion in. Find who's doing the work in that area, and then try to help them. Say that you know, I can I do this for you, or go to their events, and then gradually learn about it. And you know, I think I, I've acquired partners just from meeting them, um, just from like having meetings with people who are working in a similar field. I acquired this one partner in this great advertising agency because she heard what I was doing and she could see, she could see the the big brand and money-making potential of, of working with companies and talking about their um, gender fairness. Right. And that just happened from, because we had a shared interest. So right. the, more, there's, the more you meet your community in the world, the more things come to you, I think, without sounding like the universe is doing it. I think if you go out and put your energy to where people are working on something that you're into, there's great, um, there's great synchronicity and then something will come up. Maybe then you'll find if someone who's starting a business in that area and you could do it with her or him. Right. Um, and any uh, other do's and don'ts in the reinvention area, since you have reinvented yourself sometimes, is there, are there any don'ts like, you know, have you found those dead ends that you wish you could have avoided or did you have to go through that growing pain in order to get to where you are today? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, now I see. I see how I failed on that first website because I was so timid. It was like you know, I, I never really started a business before. And my husband, who's a nice, a nice hippie capitalist, he would tell me, "Come on, you could do it. Give, spend the money." And I was just too scared to spend the money. So you um, undercapitalized yourself. I undercapitalized myself in the beginning, where I could have made more of a difference when I was earlier, earlier in the market. And okay. uh, so that's that's a mistake I made. But you know, I'm a I'm an incredibly cautious research person. I, I don't just jump into things that I if I. That's so very female, also though. I think we are very tend to. Um, there are a couple of things, and I know I'm fighting that in myself, which is I'll just do this by myself. I don't want to ask anybody for money. I don't want to. I mean, we we tend to self. We think you know we should do it all ourselves somehow. <laughs> We're used to doing that. Yes, that's right. And um, and I don't know if it's female. My son is like me too. He's very okay. cautious. He wouldn't do that. I just okay. like I didn't break a bone when I was a kid. Like I just, you know, I don't take risks. So <laughs> okay. I didn't take a risk and now and then I suffered for it, I think. Whereas like, okay. you know, if had I been one of the first when I when I first noticed there was a big there was a gaping hole in the in the media marketplace when I first started my my site, there was like feministing, which was very sort of, you know, yes, left lefty feminism. Yes. 
And then there was, you know, mommy sites. And there wasn't okay. something in between. And okay. so I saw the hole, but I didn't I didn't get to succeed filling it. And look, okay. Bustle made Bustle made all the money. Okay. Do you know what Bustle well, is? Yes. Yes. Well, wonderful, Amy. Thank you so much for your time. And I appreciate you talking to us about Gender Fair. And we will certainly ask every one of our Covey Club listeners to download the app and use it. And we'll also look for updates from you. I would love it if you would stay in touch and we could hear more about what you need leverage with. And that's what's wonderful about all these women at Covey Club is they will help. Well, I want to be a member of the Covey Club, and I want to help them, too. Good. And meet, and meet all of you and, and drink coffee together. Good. Coffee and conversation is one of our main areas, and um, we will bring you into one of those as well, and we will bring you into a live event now that I've got you on the hook. Oh, I so, well, I, I, I so appreciate it, Leslie. It's a, it's a thrill to talk to. I really thank you so much. Great. Thanks. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Covey Cast. And I want to thank Amy Willard Cross, founder of Gender Fair, for her time. I hope you'll all go into the App Store and download the iOS version of Gender Fair and follow along with Amy on genderfair.com and all her initiatives that she needs help with. Let's all jump in and help her leverage this idea. We all need more women out there earning fair wages and also being treated fairly in the workforce. Let's, we know that when we speak up and when we make our voices heard, that we have leverage. And that is what this is all about. I hope that if you like the CoveyCast, our podcast all about women living the best times of their lives and about reinventing themselves for a new world, that you will tell your friends about CoveyCast and you will subscribe if you like us, please leave us a rating. Otherwise, we're invisible to the world. So please leave us a rating. And I would love it if you have any suggestions about fabulous reinventors or reinvention ideas you would like us to cover. If you'll write to me at leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at cubbyclub.com. And I would love to hear from you. What can we do better? How can we make relevant for you? One of the things we are going to do via a friend who listens to everything is once CoveyClub.com is launched February 1st, on those pages that talk about the podcast, we are going to list all the books and all the information about where you can find everything uh, so that it's easier to find. Because uh, friends have said to me, I'm listening to you as I'm jogging and I'm hearing all these great things, but I don't have a pen and paper. So we're going to take care of that for you, and we will do it um, for all the previous CoveyCasts as well. So you can just quickly find all the books and resources that everybody talks about and use them. Thank you again for being with us, and have a great day.